Formula Access. This week, we have Peter Boardman of Mercedes-AMG F1. A new development has occurred with the team. The team has reached out to us, uh, their comms group, and have so nicely allowed these guests that we've had on the show from Mercedes to your doorstep, as well as uh, a host of other roles that has have been suggested by you. Uh, roles that I've seen out there that seem interesting to you all. And I'm very, very excited to announce that they will be um, bringing us more high profile guests from the team into the show to your doorstep, as well as allowing me to reach out to the members of their team uh, for people that are interested to come on the show. So if you're with Mercedes, you wanna come on the show, you're always welcome. You guys, Peter is one of the most authentic guys uh, we've had on the show. I know, I know I've said that before, but you know they just get more and more interesting as time goes by. Uh, he's a really, really authentic speaker. This was his first podcast, and he did amazing. He's also a friend of Rashab, who was on our show, uh, who is a cost analyst uh, for Mercedes as well. Uh, they're good buddies, and um, you guys enjoy. He's a surfacing designer. It's a really, really interesting role, and you guys are going to be um, excited to hear this. Formula Access, welcome. Today we've got a special guest. We always have special guests on the show. Today we've got Peter Boardman. He's a surfacing designer for Mercedes F1. I ran into him like all of my guests on LinkedIn and, um, and Peter kicked off a wonderful relationship that we kind of already had, but we took it to an entirely new level with their comms department. So I do wanna send a massive thank you to Mercedes F1 and Peter Boardman for coming on the show. Peter, seriously, thank you. Hi, hi Ryan. Thanks for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to meet you. Um, so I'm a aerodynamic surface designer at Mercedes AMG Formula One. I I work really hard to find these like random titles because I think all you ever hear in the media and news is aerodynamicist and engineer, driver, team principal, and that's it. And I, you know, I've gone in this exercise of digging into titles on LinkedIn. I kind of just go to a team and I just go through the people and the personnel and I'm like, I want to find that title. I kind of no idea what they do. And I want to start it off like that. And, you know, model maker was one of them. I got one on the show from, from Alpine and, um, you know, and I was like surfacing designer. I, that sounds interesting. Let's, let's dig into that. Definitely. Definitely. So uh, a Formula I, One team is a, a large machine with lots of small components and lots of the same component and lots of small components that nobody even thinks of. So I think that's what's neat about it, because it is it's I think in the world of business, the hardest thing to do for a company is operate as a team. And, you know, everybody has a self-fulfilling prophecy that they're chasing something that they are trying to get a promotion. They're trying to shine in the sun. And um, when you can get that culture of teamwork where everybody just wants to win races and score points and, and, you know, whatever that is a passion, I mean, passion creates that. So I, I love getting the people behind the scenes that, you know, you guys get your picture with the trophy and, um, you know, you guys go on social media and you stand in front of the the trophy cases and stuff like that when you get, get a result. But like nobody ever comes and says, yeah, Peter, what do you do? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us your yeah. story. Cause if drive to survive has taught us anything, it's like, we're actually interested in getting to know the people. Yeah. And now's my chance. Yeah. Yeah. So you have center stage. You are now a celebrity. Yeah. And speaking of, taking your picture with the trophies by the trophy case. My first day was the Monday after George Russell's first win in Brazil. So I got my pictures with right the here. trophies, none of the effort, but all of the glory. So 
I'll love it. A great first day. That's what a team does. Yeah. Though. You know, it, it's a team effort. It's not an individual effort. So, so you got, you got to tell the audience, we, we got a chance to talk before the show. Um, but what does a surfacing designer do? Like what, what is that? So role? a surfacing designer is responsible for creating high quality CAD for the aerodynamics departments. Um, as well as navigating the rules set by the FIA. The better quality that this CAD is from the designer, the more designs that the aerodynamicists can punch out through their day. So it's really important to set good quality CAD to be able to enable the aerodynamicists to do their job to their maximum efficiency. So you're designing the surfaces, yeah. not necessarily the component, like the material. Yeah but the, the surfaces around and the detail of the surfaces, surfaces allows everybody to just get a better, get a better end exactly. result. So if the air touches it, it's been created by a surfacing designer. That I, I'll go back. Seriously, aerodynamicist is probably one of the most fascinating things. I know everybody gets like stuck on the whole engine thing and the power, you know, and the efficiency there. But I think I had, I had an aerodynamicist on before and he was talking about like the vortices that they're like, why they're adding things in there and how an aer aerodynamicist is, has like one piece of a wing, like one element is their entire life and, and what they're trying to accomplish. And I just, I, I, I was fascinated. My son watched the episode and he was just like, all of a sudden he was talking about, you know, being an aerodynamicist and, you know, he's really excited about, uh, you know, what that looked like. So yeah. you're in this like celebrity ish area of formula one engineers. Yeah. We're, we're all perfectionists and we obsess over the smallest of details. It's you're like, you're thinking about, you know, fluid dynamics and a controlled environment. And then you like, you have to go to the track and throw on other cars and wind and all of those things. And, and to your thing, like, can you account for that in the wind tunnel? I mean, can you take an air gun and like blow the side of it and see how it works? So not really. It's kind of a, <laughs> uh, you've got multiple uses in a wind tunnel, but you're quite limited on what you can do in there, especially with the regulations on wind tunnel usage but in f1 it's important to be proactive but also reactive so like you say if you get a, a change in conditions at the track you've got to be reactive to that problem very quickly yeah the the speed at which you guys work and produce is mind-blowing to you know run into something at track at a race and then have a fully thought out, well de well developed part in the wind tunnel, and then brought out to the track for the following weekend. To me, just is mind blowing. And I just, when I hear those stories, and then I go to work or I talk with friends that work in companies, and they talk about how slow things move, I it's like you gotta you gotta listen to these guys and find these types of people you know, to come into your company and that's, that's how you get stuff done. Yeah. The processes are it's, so efficient and so time effective. So your, your role is pre aerodynamicist. So when you think like, when I think of the chain of command and we've kind of gone over this actually with a lot of Mercedes people is, you know, kind of aerodynamicist, um, you know, model maker, wind tunnel, and then it kind of gets into um, creation. Are you are you working with the aerodynamicists ahead of yep. this? So we're working directly alongside the aerodynamicists. If they tell us what they want from a design, we try and achieve that for them in the best way possible. If we've achieved it in a robust and parametric way, this then enables them to do a hundred designs in a week instead of 20 so it's we're really an enabler to allow the aerodynamicists to to do their job to their their best best abilities they're 
Is there is that a lot of pressure? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think there's a, a low pressure role in Formula One. No, no, no. I I only ask that question because I generally always know the answer to it. And, you know, it's it's kind of like um, it's it's just it's it's kind of like is it is it glitz and glam for you and nobody's like yet yeah, no it's not good glitz and glam and yes there's enormous amounts of pressure but the passion yeah. you know kind of wipes wipes the stress pressure the negative pressure yeah. out it's the equation. at times it's hard work it's high pressure but it makes the good moments taste so much sweeter and a diamond's made under pressure so yes thank you <laughs> I've, I've actually, so, so this, this whole thing started out as, as a blog that I did just to kind of get out of my own head and business was like, it was stressful. There was a lot of pressure and I just, I had no hobbies. I was, you know, my wife was like, what do you do for fun? I was like, I don't know. I watch formula one races, you know, and, and, um, I enjoy writing. I enjoy, you know, creating and, and whatnot. And so I started this blog and it was a, the business of formula one. And, you know, a lot of my writing was you know, how, how people cope under pressure. Cause it is business. Business is what I've been in since I got out of school. And, um, and a lot of that is how I would react professionally in some of these, these situations and, and whatnot. But I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I've never grown when times were easy. It's always been under times of extraordinary stress and pressure where I feel like I've matured more as a person and, you know, as a father, a husband, a, a business owner, a leader, whatever it is, it's like, bring it on, bring me pressure and make, make things difficult. And, you know, I'm going to come out of the other yeah. end, you know, much, much better. lots of uh, kind of feels like, the, sorry, go on. kind of feels like the culture of, of Mercedes. I, I think that's like embedded in your DNA is just this, like this unbelievable desire to win achieve and uh and grow yeah. we always have we always used to have this in the early days of my company we used to always have this motto of like you either win or you learn and you always win because you're always either winning or learning like and there is no fail yeah. you know failure basically gets you to winning faster and um i don't know i that's one thing i love about toto is he's just like we're coming after you yeah like when when all things feel bad he's just like we got this you know yeah. always he looking is, for the next he's the challenge ultimate, yeah he's the ultimate entrepreneurial leader i i just i really admire the guy yeah. so it's so how how did you get into motorsports like your young kid was this like watching races as a kid with your family how did how did this all get started yeah, so it has to be my father really he was always into f1 and motorsports at first when i was a child i'd hide behind the sofa and i'd be like what are you watching these cars going around in circles for it's boring and i was young and during that that period it was always the red car that was winning so i was like why are you watching it it's always going to be the same result and then i just remember a, a sudden change in the way that i saw formula one and it was 2005 the monaco grand prix and i remember just poking my head above the sofa and seeing this bright yellow and blue renault of fernando alonso going around being chased by a chrome and red mclaren mclaren mercedes and it was like the colors uh -huh. are fantastic the liveries yeah. the brands the sponsors it's a piece of art flying around a track at 200 mile an hour and so i think it was the liveries that got me into formula one before the actual race in itself and then following on from that this passion started building for cars and motorsports in general i remember being a young child and my dad played games with me in the car when we were on a road trip where he'd say tell me the, the name of the next car that's coming and as we're driving down the road I'd be saying the name of every car that comes past and I'm like six, seven years old and I'd know, I'd be yeah. able to see the headlights coming. I'd be like, that's a Mercedes C-Class and so on. So I was always passionate about cars and racing as a child after that. 
and my mother who wasn't really interested in motorsport there was a a local rally on the beach where we grew up and she'd always take me to that and it was every winter and the weather was horrific it was raining raining sideways it was windy it was terrible weather but we'd stand out there on the beach and we'd watch these cars flying past Subarus Mitsubishis Ford Escorts and we'd just be under the biggest jacket just trying to stay warm and dry um, and it's the same for all of my family they've seen this passion and they've always encouraged me to go for it they've never said be an accountant be a be a lawyer they've always said this is what you want to do go and chase it um, my grandfather was always dead supportive probably my biggest inspiration um, as he was the only other boardman in my family that has been to university and he was always pushing me to follow my dreams um, my dad always used to take me to loads of races as a child formula one british touring car even just your amateur club racing whatever there was we'd go take me to museums we'd watch races together we'd play video games with cars and racing it just really encouraged this passion that i had and then this passion took me to took me through school where design and technology and product design was the one class that really got me engaged and the teachers that taught this class were ex-designers at tvr which is an old sports mm -hmm. car company and it was hearing their stories and hearing their life experience that thought wow i can work with cars i can do something that i'm passionate about and make a living off it that's that's cool so they then pushed me in the right direction and said like you need to go to this university you need to study this class they also helped me get a work experience in the summer before university at a sports car company in Cornwall called Tonic. And it was at this company where I learned how to do basic mechanics. I learned how to use glass fiber. I was taught by one of the designers there how to use CAD. And I was like, this is quite good, this CAD stuff. It's CAD stuff. It's, it feels quite, quite fun that I can create something from my computer. So I then started at Coventry University where I studied automotive and transport design. And I enjoyed creating the sketches and the designs and the, the renders. It's creating art, really. I enjoyed it, but it was a lot of pressure and it's a lot of hard work because you're not only trying to convey a design, which is a subjective environment anyway, but you're also trying to learn how to sketch at the same time. So it's a really difficult environment. And you, when you look at the people who graduated from that course, you see the people who've gone very far because of the, the drive and the ambition that was instilled in them at that university. But it was in my second year where we started having CAD modules and that was using the software Alias Auto Studio. And it just felt right it just felt natural so I was like I'm enjoying this and my grades were really good for that module so I then went into my third year and I was fortunate enough to be offered a internship at Jeff Lugard Aerodynamics and Jeff was a great mentor to me and to many other students he does everything he could to help everyone so it was hit at his consultancy where we were working on some interesting future technologies, which was how to reduce the drag of vehicles by traveling in a platoon. So it was really groundbreaking research. And we were doing that in the Coventry University mm -hmm. wind tunnel, as well as a little bit of time at Myra, a little bit of CFD, stuff like that. So that was really interesting. And he then got me another internship at TotalSim, which is based just down the road from Mercedes F1, so really close. And whilst I was there, I was working on a GT3 motorsport project. Right. And you were the the problem that we were given to solve was really, really interesting, really engaging. I don't know how much I can say about it, but it was very. <laughs> it was like I was working in a small team of really intelligent engineers and really friendly team, and I was able to 
create my designs and create CAD for this motorsport project. And I was like, I never knew that doing CAD had a had a role in motorsports. I'm like, this is the mm-hmm. role for me. This is what I want to do as a career. So after finishing that internship, I went back to university for my final year. I was like, for my thesis, I've got to do a motorsport project because that's what I want to do at the end. And I've got to show my CAD skills. So I designed a car for the future to race in endurance racing. And the whole idea was that this design would showcase the future technologies. The most important one for this project was autonomous technology because I saw the work that Robo Race was doing and mm-hmm. they were showing that an autonomous vehicle can race against autonomous vehicles. Well, that doesn't convince somebody out on the street to go and buy an autonomous vehicle because they don't know if it's better or worse than a normal vehicle. So I wanted to show in my project that an autonomous vehicle could race against a normal human driver. So. I worked with a few companies to get research and get knowledge from them. And the idea was that this autonomous vehicle for a stint of a 24 hour race, you wouldn't need a driver. So you wouldn't need a cockpit. You remove that cockpit, you reduce the frontal area of the vehicle and reduce the drag. So that was what I was trying to showcase that you could reduce the drag of this vehicle at Le Mans, for example, which would increase the top speed. It would increase the efficiency, increase your range. So in my head, I was envisioning this interesting race where you'd have an autonomous vehicle racing against a driver, racing down the Mulsanne straight. And because this car is a robot and it doesn't have a cockpit, it'll be a little bit faster down the straights. Maybe the human can bully the computer into a mistake through the corners and so on. Um, So that was a very interesting project. I then graduated with a first class honours degree. So I was very proud of proud of that. The hard work had finally paid off. And then that summer I went to the 2018 24 Hours of Le Mans. It's my first time going to that race. And what an amazing experience. I'd really recommend a visit to that event for any motorsport fan. Because any fan has access to almost all the areas. It's and everybody there, the mechanics, the drivers, everybody's so friendly. You, you bump into drivers just walking around the campsite and things like that. It's crazy. Really good atmosphere. And whilst uh, just before that, just after I'd finished university, I had a message off Princess Yachts, the head of design at Princess Yachts, asking me if I could go down for an interview. So Princess Yachts is a, a one of the UK's leading yacht manufacturers and they do some beautiful designs and some really forward thinking advanced yachts but at the time i'd never been interested in yacht design i'd never even been on a boat and they asked me in the interview what do you know about yacht design i'm like well yachts go in the water i guess like i genuinely don't know how to prepare for this interview i don't know what to say i'm in an area that's completely out of my field of knowledge but I got the job and it was a great great environment to work in there was a design team of people of similar ages similar backgrounds and everybody just clicked really well we were a really friendly team and there was a few of us that come from the same university together and some of them I'm still really good friends with now it's just a a great little design team working away and I then found out that I'd got this job because my university project had been shared on Instagram by a car design page with unbeknown to me. And somebody, a designer at this company saw my project on Instagram, then spoke to their head of design and said, this, this project looks pretty cool. We should get this guy in for an interview. So it then went from there. So I got my first graduate job from social media. And it was a a really good atmosphere. I I learned Siemens NX there, which was the first, um, which is one of the two CAD programs that are used in Formula One. So this opened a lot of doors for me. And it was only eight months after I started this job that 
I'd seen the job advert for Toro Rosso. I was like, I can't not apply for that. I've got to apply. I feel bad leaving this company so soon, but that's my dream job to work in Formula One. So I applied for it. I was like, I'll never hear anything back from it. I then got asked to do a, a Skype call. I'm like, okay, sweet. I'll do that. Did the Skype call. I think it went well, but I'll, I won't hear anything from it. They don't want somebody who isn't from Formula One. Then they asked me to come for a second interview. It's like, oh, okay, that's a surprise, but I'll go for the interview. And this interview was on the same day as my graduation ceremony. So I was in the frame of mind where if this job interview goes badly, it's going to ruin my graduation ceremony because I'm going to be so upset. But if it goes well, it's a, a day to remember. So it went well. I graduated. Yeah. And then a few days after, it's, you've got the job. When can you start? I'm like, wow, I wasn't ever prepared that I was going to get this job. And I then started in 2019 at Tarosso. It's a, a great place to work as a, as a young designer uh, who's just finding their feet in Formula One. It's a really mm-hmm. welcoming atmosphere, welcoming environment, um, very patient with you to learn your skills and to develop as a person as a professional, um, a lot of talented people work in there as well. A lot of really, really good people like personally and professionally. And it was great to be a part of a team that went from when I started, there were P, P9 in the championship to go from there to then fighting for podiums, fighting for wins, you know, qualifying on mm-hmm. front rows. It's like, wow, this is amazing. What a journey to be a part of. So <laughs> that was really, really good fun. And so that was with Siemens NX. I then got headhunted in 2022 by one of the designers at, at Mercedes. And I was like, that's crazy. I'll, I'll go ahead yeah. with it, but I don't think it'll go anywhere because I, I didn't use the software that I'm using now up until me starting here. I was like, I'll never hear anything. It won't go very well. I then got the job and I'm like, can't believe it. No way. I'm, it's... And it was, I was like, I'm ready for a new challenge. I was thinking, you know, it's a different, it'll be a good step in my career to be at a team that's fighting for wins instead of just fighting in the midfield. Um, and it'd be good to see what the difference between those team, two teams is. And then after that, I can see, see which one I like more. But I then started in November 2022, the day after... George got his podium, and I've never looked back since. It's, Mercedes is a great, a great environment to be a part of. Really supportive environment. I, the first few weeks, I was just in utter disbelief that that I'm coming to work, that I'm not just coming to a, a family. It's everybody's so welcoming, everybody's so supportive, and everybody feels safe. You know, you don't feel like you're, you don't feel like if you mess up that you're going to be blamed. You feel like you they want you to learn from it. It's a, a completely different dynamic to what I've experienced before. And it's really healthy, really wholesome. Yeah, I I, I think I would, I would second that. Um, just, you know, we've had, we've had several guests on from the team and, you know, you, you guys are all kind of cut from the same cloth and um, you know, prior to us talking, you know, I had comms on and, you know, maybe a couple of days later, I started watching the latest drive to survive. And, and, you know, your head of comms was on, I think like the first episode. And I was like, I sent him an email. This is like an early Saturday morning, you know, before, during testing, you know, and, and I was like, was that you? <laughs> was that you on the first episode? And he was just like, you know, sending me rolling eye emojis. And he's like, yes, yes, you know, (laughs) but just like that level of, of just communication. I think a lot of people would, you know, just kind of delete the email or, you know, blow off the the request um, or just not even acknowledge it. And, and everybody's been just amazing. I still email and message and text everyone that I've had on the show from Mercedes and it's all, you know, are you going to be at this race? You know, I'm going to be there. Do you have tickets? You know, let's, let's connect. Yeah. 
it's just it's it is a family i i do second that i would agree yeah. with you it's like and the benefits of working here it just doesn't feel like a like a, a workplace it feels like a like a like a family like a fraternity it's a really nice place to be yeah why why surfacing engineer you that's been your role kind of since you started is that when when you're in that type of degree aerodynamicist are you thinking about like am i going to be an aerodynamicist am i going to work in the wind tunnel surfacing designer whatever yeah. or, or do you think about that when you're getting your degree so like is there an area of focus yeah. so for me i never thought that i could work in motorsports unless i was an engineer so because i'm from a design background as opposed to an engineering background uh, you see everybody who works in, mo in motorsports they've all got engineering degrees i was like I, I don't want an engineering degree. I want to, I want to have a pen in my hand. I want to be drawing. I want to be creating stuff. So all the way through university, I was thinking I'm going to work at a car company and do CAD for road cars. But then when I was like, no, I can work in motorsports. There is a role for me. I was like, I've, I've got to pursue this. But with my background being different to an engineer's, say an engineer who's doing the same role as me, because we've got these different backgrounds, we've got two different approaches to a problem. And I think it's great to have that, that broad difference in understandings in the way that we'd approach the problem. So an engineer might, I can't, I can't say, cause I'm not from an engineering background, but I imagine that an engineer sees things in, in 2D, just a, a slice of a car, you know, and that's how they break down that design which has so many benefits that you can concentrate on that one area. But when you're from a design background and you're sketching and you're learning about shapes and forms, you're looking at reflections down a car, how to make the, the prettiest car, uh, you know, you've, you've, everything's, you've got to understand a shape in 3D. So when I'm approaching a problem in the office, I'm already imagining what it would look like when an aerodynamicist says, can you create me this design? I want it to look like this. I'll be like, yeah, I can imagine how that's going to go. Maybe these are the problems that we'll encounter, but it's a different approach to what you might have as from an engineering background. So it's good to have that, that mix of engineers and designers in the office. What's the end goal for a role like you? Are you the next Adrian Newey of Mercedes, like head of? So I think for me, I'm not an aerodynamicist. I, um, I wouldn't know where to start with how to make something aerodynamic. I can, I can guess like anybody else can, but for me, it's just to keep making great, great designs for the aerodynamicists and for them to be able to, so to be a part of creating the best front wing, the best body work, the best floor. Um, when I was at AlphaTauri, it was because that was where I spent the majority of my career. There was some really good aerodynamicists that I've worked with really well and it's good to sort of work as a as kind of like two two friends approaching the same problem and when it goes through the wind tunnel and it has done well it's like we did that and then it's like and then it goes to the, the car and goes through test and it's like and it's done well again it's like yeah we've done that so there were some really satisfying things during my time previously where you'd see a design that I'd worked on on the car and it's like wow we did that and now it it's our design on the car we did that together it's that's the rewarding aspect of my job and I'm sure that in the in the future I'll see my designs on the Mercedes um but yeah it's, it's a rewarding do you so. do you see I mean do you see that like in your role you see your design on the car and obviously take pride yeah, in that. Yeah, definitely. And there's not a single thing that anyone in the office hasn't been a part of. We've all had a little bit involved of involvement in that 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 design. So everybody can claim a little bit to it and be like and feel a little bit of that that rewarding factor to it. Everybody can feel that boost, you know, of seeing something that they may or may not have worked on. It's that's that's what gets people um 
in 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 a good mood. So that's I I'm gonna I'm gonna like drag the conversation back for a second. I like to just jump around during the conversation, yeah. but just for like the audience to to dig back into your your yachting days, there's actually a ton of synergy between the aerodynamics or fluid dynamics of yachting as well as formula one and i mercedes has an enios team yeah that's right and that's one of the big positives of working at mercedes is that we've got these applied sciences you can have the opportunity to work on a sailing yacht as well as a formula one car and anything else in between it keeps keeps things fresh so um and in terms of the crossover in my experience as a yacht designer we were trying to create things that were that were visually pleasing so focusing on the aesthetics whereas in formula one we're focusing on the purely the aerodynamics and mm-hmm. but there's a similar approach as a surfacing designer that you still faced with problems you still faced with brackets and mechanicals that you've got to avoid you've still got to solve these problems and surfacing designer you've got to you've got to be a problem solver you've got to be able to navigate rules you've got to be able to navigate hard points and mechanicals and in the yacht industry you've got certain regulations that you've got to conform with in terms of like you can't have a a corner being too sharp you can't have certain materials things like that so as a surfacing designer you're consistently working with regulations and how you can find the solution to those problems that you encounter i i actually loved when i had dan on the show your head of powertrains and you know just not so much not so much the formula one aspect but the formula student piece of our conversation he you know we we were talking about just how you find engineers and and you know who you're looking for you know do you just recruit like the top three people in every class and just take them you know and and i was really impressed by the answer which was no you know we're looking for good engineers but we're also looking for those creatives that are able to understand the rules how they apply to that particular set of things that they're working on and and have that creative mind not the not the robotic mind that is you know one plus two equals three it's like well we could we could we could make it three in a bunch of different ways you know and and i think that 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 impressed me with that answer it sounds you know like you see the same thing and i and i'm i'm i mean i'm impressed that you're an aerodynamicist without in that group without the engineering piece of the degree because i you know you hear the adrian newey like he he still draw he doesn't use computers he draws yeah. it you know and i'm like that's that's pretty gangster you know yeah. like <laughs> so I, i'm not an aerodynamicist um i can't i can't yeah. pretend to understand what those guys are working on or what they what their processes are but it's it's good to work with them and see the ideas that they come up with yeah. and then how we can make it happen and we can make that that dream become a reality for them in 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 that in that same vein okay so you i i actually did not want to skim over this conversation but like so did you make a thesis on this car or did you actually put this to application the autonomous 24 was there any form of like real life application so in terms of application sort of like it stopped when I finished university because I wanted to go and start a career instead of starting my own project, my own design. Um, Cause there's a lot of risks with starting up your own business and your own projects. So <laughs> definitely. About that. Um, and <laughs> as somebody who was fresh out of university, I wasn't really ready to uh, get involved in that side. And, um, but in terms of the research involved, I had to do a lot of research in terms of what technology do you need to incorporate to build an autonomous vehicle. I was fortunate enough to be 
welcomed by RoboRace to their facility and see what goes into their car, what's beneath the skin. And I was like, that's fantastic. So now I know that I'm going to have to leave a certain space in the front of the car for a LiDAR sensor or whatever mechanicals are needed. And I'll need to allow so much space for the actual computer of the car and all of the wiring and stuff like that. And I also needed to forecast what sort of powertrain I'd need to put in it, how powerful that would be, what the drag would be. I did a lot of wind tunnel testing with my project as well. So I went for an electric vehicle because then I don't need a big drive shaft through the, through the rear of the car. So that then allows me to make a much larger diffuser. And the problems that I faced was that I designed this autonomous car and the shape sort of went from the start and I sort of, it was too flat along the top. Whereas if you want to keep the air attached to the car, you, you want a more rounded surface. So I'd, so I'd, you've got your normal endurance car and then you've got my car and I took too much of that volume out. So when I tested it in the wind tunnel, you could just, you could see all of the, um, the tufts, the little bits of, um, string that are on the car to show if the air's attached to the car and all of these were were going all over the place i'm like this isn't good and the air was coming it was hitting the nose and it was just going straight off and just creating one big mess and that then left a low pre low pressure area over the rear of the car so the rear of the car in the wind tunnel was just going <laughs> and wow. yeah and so then i had to adapt really quickly in the wind tunnel. I needed to put a spoiler on the rear of the car. I needed to try and create a, a half, sort of like a halfway house between the two designs. And that was much more favorable and reduced the drag by quite a large amount as well. So it was a quite a fun, fun project. So. See, you are an aerodynamicist. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> like, I can understand the, the forms and I can understand some of the principles behind it, but the level of aerodynamics that I was applying to my university project was very, very basic compared to what we're doing in Formula One. In Formula One, it's there's a million considerations for an aerodynamicist, whereas on my project, there was only like three considerations. It's much, much easier to navigate, <laughs> thankfully for me. Um, yeah, but the air was detaching so badly off the front of the car and creating such a, a low pressure area over the rear that the car ended up pulling up so far and I think the cockpit of the car ripped off and flew through the wind tunnel. It was all made out of like blue foam, which is like yeah. really sort of cheap, a cheap material, but it's made that way because it's quick and easy to make iterations of it. And this blue, blue foam got pulled off the model, sucked through the tunnel and then came back around. And when it came back around, this just, hundreds of little shards of blue foam just flying everywhere. It's like, right, we're going to have to clean that up now. <laughs> so the life of car building. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, so in, in, in all of your time in motorsports, what, like, what's been your pinch me moment through, through all of this time and, and, and motorsports and, and formula one and, and through, you know, a multitude of teams where, where were you like, I can't even believe I'm here. So I'd recommend for anybody to visit the Goodwood festival of speed. It's a great event. And the first one that I went to, which is 2014, I went past the Mercedes garages and they had Michael Schumacher's last ever car. It's a 2012 car. <laughs> And they had a, a little baby that they were putting in the car just to take a picture of it. It's really cute. And I was, I think I was 18 years old at the time and overly confident. I was like, come on, let me have a picture in it as well. They're like, no, we can't really do that. It's we're just doing it for the children. I'm like, I'm a child, come on. And uh, they were like, yeah, fine, go on then. And I got to sit in it and my face in the pictures I'm just grinning from ear to ear and I'm like, wow, look at this. Like, And I got to see the, the chassis play on the car and it was his Brazil car. It was his last ever race. And just a great, great moment. Uh, since then, there's been, I've been to Monza as a fan and mm -hmm. it was 2019 and I'm not a 
I'm not a fan of the the red cars directly, but I can appreciate the the passion that you've got a whole country supporting yeah. that team. And Leclerc got his his win at Monza, and mm-hmm. it was the first Ferrari win since Alonso in 2011, I think. And the crowd yeah. went crazy. And me and my friend, we've managed to get under a fence and get onto the circuit after it had finished. And we're under the podium right next to the big Ferrari flag. And there's 100,000 people all the way down the track, all wearing red. It's like, this is crazy. You, you don't get this at a, a football match. You don't get this at a, at a music concert. This is something else. So that was an unbelievable moment just on the track with that many people passionate about that that one team and even afterwards could go and walk on uh, Parabolica I think it was and you can see how mm-hmm. steep it is it makes me appreciate the effort that the uh, NASCAR drivers go to driving on those ovals um, but yeah other than that I've been to Silverstone with Toro Rosso and that was a, an unbelievable moment we went to the energy station and even though Sir Jackie Stewart hasn't got any connection to Alpha Tauri, he came over to our table and we're all wearing Toro Rosso t-shirts and he comes over to our table and he says, hello, I'm Jackie Stewart, you know, welcome. I hope you're all having a good time. It's like, wow, this, <laughs> it's like, we know who you are. You're, you're one of the most successful Formula One drivers ever. And you're taking the time out of your day to ask us if we're having a good day. It's like, that's, it really is the nicest man in motorsport. I've um, went to Silverstone last year as well with my previous employer. That was great. Walking around the track afterwards with my friends. This, yeah, really good. And during my time at Mercedes, the, the first day, the real pinch me moment was yeah, enjoying some champagne. We're all wearing the bright green t-shirts and it's like uh-huh. this is this is fun this is what a place and met the drivers here that's been really special and it it goes to show just how human they are that they are genuine people they are just like you and me you know I'm speaking to lewis and he's talking to us about star wars and we're catching up about what does he think about the latest film it's like he's just he's just he's a nerd like me <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on that note, yeah, I'm a big sci-fi geek too. Like I I love that. But you're you're right. I I I mean, I've run across plenty of call it sports celebs in my life and they're just normal people. Yeah. I've run across, you know, business celebrities and they're just normal people and um and I think that uh once people kind of realize that you know, it, it makes it easier to get around them. You're not so giddy yeah. and, you Definitely. know, weird cry, whatever people do around celebrities. Yeah, and... <laughs> but the most in- inspiring experience as a fan inside Formula One has to be the colleagues that I've met along the way. Like, we all, we're all interested in these drivers and team bosses, and but there's only like 30 of those, you know, 20 drivers, yeah. 10, 10 team principals. And we're all looking at those guys, but there's 10,000 people who work in Formula One and all of them have got an incredible story to tell. They've all got funny stories. They've all got memories of a a car that broken down in a, in some unusual way. It's really interesting to hear the stories that they've got to tell. And it's not just their stories from their experience in Formula One. It's their stories from their experience in Formula E from Le Mans from DTM it's really really inspiring yeah they are I mean that's the entire preface of of this podcast is you know you got 1100 people at every team and you know they all they all share a great story of adversity of challenge and you know it's it they're, all their stories are not as easy as yours, yeah. you know, and I, I'm not saying that your story is easy, but, you know, a lot of them apply at many teams before they ever get, I mean, Rashab who came on the show, like, yeah. you know, like, why do I keep getting rejected here? Yeah. 
And so to go back to my third year of university, when I was applying for internships, I think I applied for every Formula One team and didn't get a response yeah. off any of them. I applied for every car company, didn't get a response off any of them. And it was like, then when Jeff offered me an internship at his company, I was like, wow, that's, you know, better than I could have ever expected. And it goes to show that there's not just one route to your end goal. Everybody's got a different route. And you, you, and you never gave yeah. up. I think that's, if there's anything that any young person could ever take away from this show is the people that, that get where they need to go, just get back up, get back up, get back up, keep going. 100%. What, what didn't you expect when you got to Formula One? I didn't expect it to be so friendly. At times, it's obviously been difficult. There's hard work. There's there's sad times. There's you know like when uh, you know like when your expectations haven't been met. It's quite a yeah. horrible feeling when everybody in that team is feeling the same way. Everybody's feeling everybody's feeling sad. Everybody's feeling down. But I didn't expect the resilience that everybody has. I didn't expect the friendliness that. We're all united by the same goal. We're all united by the same struggles. And we're all friendly about it. It's There's no, there's no um, competition or finger pointing, you know, like he's got that, I want that. It's always with, we're two people in the same company. We're friends. Like there's no jealousy. It's a really friendly atmosphere that I wasn't expecting. That's, that's a family, yeah. you know, I, I really, I, again, I keep, I can always get that, that sense around you guys. And, uh, yeah, what, what has been, oh, call it the hardest lesson in your, in your career. Hardest lesson. Like what, like some, maybe let me rephrase that. What has been like the thing that grew you the most, like something that knocked you down and, and, you know, you really kind of your resilience or your family got you. So I think it, it goes back to the last point. It was being in that position at university where, and the car design world is really, really competitive, just like formula one. There's a lot of talented Mm -hmm. people going for a small number of jobs and you go through those years of university and you're always looking at people that are better than you. You're always looking at yourself and you're like, I wish I was as good as them. I wish I had the internships yeah. that they had and you work hard, you keep pushing, you keep pushing. And the university course started with 120 people. By the end of the first year, there was 80 people. By the end of the second year, there was a bit less and a bit less and it went on. And at the end, in the final year, you had the people, We'd, and we'd all sort of balance back out the the people at the bottom had caught people on the top and it was a really competitive year at university and it's having that resilience to keep pushing even though all the odds are stacked against you everybody else you you, you say there's 10 jobs and there's 100 students you're like well i'm in the 90 i'm not going to get that job i should just give up and i should spend my time focusing on something else but there's a lot of people that that makes them stronger that makes them want it even more and i was one of those people i was like i really want this and i'm gonna have to work hard at it but i kept pushing and pushing and pushing and i got it and the sense of pride when i had achieved it it's overwhelming um so yeah i think pushing through the bad times and being resilient is one of the the biggest life lessons to anyone you know, when I'm, when you're applying for internships and nobody even responds, you just think, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong with me? And you just keep going, but it pays off in the end. Next, next time you talk to, to Bradley, you have to tell him, Ryan thinks I sound and talk exactly like Lewis. Like to me, that was a, a, a perfectly articulated answer to that question, but like so much of just just a belief in that. I, again, 
I, I have always respected and appreciated people that have broken the rules and, you know, maybe that's not break the rules, but more so like break the yeah. norm, which is like Lewis, you know, coming from a family that he came from, his dad worked many jobs to get him where he's at. And it was, you know, all the boxes were checked that he would never be what he is today. Yeah. And, and they broke that mold. They broke that rule. Yeah. And, and I just like, I appreciate that. And I think when you ask somebody a question like that, that response is very genuine. Cause you, you know, you know, that that was a lesson. That was a hard period of time. You see where the growth occurred in your own life. And now you can articulate that with like, not necessarily confidence, but like credibility yeah. and like you've walked that walk. Yeah. So I just, I think that's a really good lesson to people to like quit, quit looking outward and, and look, look at you, look at your own situation and, and like trudge forward from yeah, that. Definitely. Be like, I don't want to be like that guy. I want to be like yeah. me. You and know? when you push through those bad times, you have that sense of achievement afterwards. And that makes yeah. you, it puts a spring in your step. It makes you approach things differently. It gives you a, a ray of sunshine to keep going with because you're like, if I can do that, I can do this. If I can push through that, yeah. anything I face is going to be easy. So it it really is, it pays off to push through no matter how difficult it can be. Yeah, that was, it's a good response. The, I, I'm, I am really impressed that this is your first podcast. Beginner's look. Tom's prepared you well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All the role playing you did during scheduling, <laughs> it, it paid yeah. off. Or you're natural, so <laughs> beginners look for sure. <laughs> so every every episode, I I always want to to provide a level of encouragement or just guidance or wisdom or whatever whatever the guest wants to do from that. But what advice do you have for a young person, you know, looking to get into Formula One or you know? as a young person thinking, you know, I want to work for a team, uh, you know, I want to get into motorsports or just maybe somebody in college. who's like, man, I don't, I didn't get into formula student and, you know, I still want to pursue this dream and I'm not the top of my class, but I just want this thing. Yeah, sure. Like there's so many different avenues to go down to get you to the end goal of formula one, if that is your end goal, but I never did formula student, but you've got to, like there's different things that you can do as opposed to that. And just because everybody else is doing formula student doesn't mean you have to, you could get down to Silverstone or your local racetrack, volunteer to be a marshal or go around a, a paddock, at a, a caterham race and just ask if anybody wants a hand just with a spanner. And maybe like, obviously a lot of people are going to say no, but maybe some people will say yes. And that gives you, a different background to everybody else and it's it's you, you've got to be it's those those things that are different that make you stand out make you independent but some good advice that i'd recommend from what i feel from from my story anyway that there aren't from where i'm from in lancashire there aren't many people who work in motorsport there's not a single formula one team there's not a single there's not many motorsports teams um, and if there are the like very, very small club level racing. The only thing that we had in terms of cars and motorsports was TVR. So I, I sort of, I'm, I went into a world where I didn't have very many, um, sort of, uh, advice or people or mentors from my background. And then I went to a university and studied automotive design. And I'm one of the few people that have gone from automotive design into formula one. So it's, really you, you you've got to try and find different ways that work for you that showcase your skills and your interests and your passions but you've got to work really really hard because formula one is such a competitive industry there's so many people going for such a small number of jobs that you've got to work hard to stand out from them but you've got to have an open mind as well because you've got such a large number of people going for these jobs and if you're coming out of university you're at step one but Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport. It's that's step ten. So 
you've got even to go from university straight to Formula One is a big jump. So you've got to try and find your ways to get to that step 10. Some people can make that jump because some people are built differently. But for me, it was going into a yacht company and getting experience that way. So you've got to be open-minded to other opportunities outside of Formula One. There's many great roles in lots of motorsport areas. You, it, you know, there's Formula E out there, there's Formula Ford, there's motorbikes, there's everything. Rallying, rallycross, yeah. everything. So another thing that I'd recommend is finding a good work-life balance because Formula, Formula One is such an intensive role to or environment to work in and if you can't find those things that help you invest in yourself and fill up your own emotional tank at the weekends it makes it a lot harder on the monday so like for me i play rugby league for oxford cavaliers and that really helps me stay motivated i'm a keen surfer not as good as lewis i wish i was but surfing it just gives me a sense of calmness and helps me find my inner peace because it's just you and nature. You're just out on the water. I try to watch as much football as I can. I try to watch IndyCar, NASCAR, MotoGP, because you can learn so much from different fields. Like even playing rugby league, I, I, I'm one of the smallest people on the pitch, but I can tackle one of the bigger guys because I've got that belief in myself that even the the smallest of people it's not it's not about how how big you are physically it's about how big your willpower is so i learned that from rugby league and i then take that into the office with me on a monday and i'm like i don't i don't care about what position i hold i don't care what rank i am if there's a problem i'm going to charge at it and i'm going to solve it so you've got to try and find your your different your different hobbies because when you apply for a job, they make you an individual. And it, like I said before, it's those individual candidates that stand out. So, and I love to travel and I really want to do a road trip across America in the summer as well. So I'll uh, hopefully pay you a visit and see you there. So oh, I'd love yeah. to catch an IndyCar race and a NASCAR race as well. So, um, St. Pete. Yeah. St. Pete is a, is like the Monaco of IndyCar, right? I try. I couldn't go this year. I I had a work trip, but um, it is. First off, Saint Petersburg is a fantastic city. It's uh, very lively. Uh, It's it's got a lot of motorsport heritage in it, and it's a it's a great track. Um, I mean, you are literally on top of the cars, and um, you're like in in the car so like when you're in the at the beginning of the race they wheel all the cars out through the the crowd opens up and so you are like hovering over the the tires and and the car it's just it's like right there and they all they're all walking by you like they're just i was walking through the race and you know Romain Grosjean and walked by with his son yeah. and you know hanging out I'm like oh man and what's that's up so important for engaging new fans in motorsport yeah. like I love going to yeah. the Goodwood Festival of Speed because you can you can touch the cars you can meet the drivers yeah. you can get up close and personal and that's what gets people engaged is meeting these heroes but the IndyCar race at St. Pete last week was a great race it was a real real spectacle so unpredictable so that's that's awesome. Well, seriously, Peter. Honestly, like, thank you for coming on. But really and truly, like, this was a great conversation. Like, you you really speak from the heart, and um, you've got an awesome story. And uh, get to America, and then ping me. I I joke like we will we will communicate all the time. 100%. Like all of my guests are like my my email friends now or like my LinkedIn friends and we're always kind of messaging back and forth. Hey, congrats. Or, you know, Hey, you know, definitely. Uh, I'll be at the race. Will you be there? Yeah. And, you know, go grab coffee with somebody, you know, on the Monday morning after the race and, and hang out. Definitely. So, we'll stay connected. Seriously. Yeah. And I'm going to get abroad. I am going, my 2024 goal is to get over to 
uh, to Europe and, and catch a couple of races 100%. and uh, got to catch a triple header, like just something where I can like see as much as I can in one trip. Yeah, and I love to travel as well. So I've traveled yeah. around Europe. I've seen the sights to see. I've been to races here, been to Monaco, I've been to Mons or up into Le Mans, but I've never, I've never been to a race in America and there's so many places that I've not seen like Nashville and not been to Daytona. I've not been to Indianapolis. I've not been to LA, like these great places that I really want to see. So you, you've got to travel to Europe and take, take a month, take two months, just try and see all of these races and all of these cities, beautiful historic cities. You've got to see them. It's great. That's awesome. Seriously. Thank you for coming. Thank on. you so much. I'm really happy to share my story. And hopefully my story helps many people out there that want to get into Formula One and pursue their dreams. Thank you. Thank you.